0: Well, let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that speaks powerfully to us. And we pray now that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Open our hearts and minds to the truth of our predicament and, our, uh, and the wondrous things you've done for us in Jesus to save us from that. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you ever met someone who uh, has this, like, a really obvious problem but they, they won't admit that they've got it. Uh, maybe they, uh, someone who complains about having no money and yet you watch them every day at work or something, go and buy a takeaway and they talk about how poor they are and you're like mate there's like 50 bucks a week at minimum right there uh, or uh, someone who, who, who equally does something else that, that, that is, uh, is so, so obviously a problem and they, that they kind of know it is but they just won't deal with it What about someone who sort of is in denial and they're sort of going along thinking everything's fine but actually it's not really Uh, and in this regard some of the best examples i could think of were 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 companies uh, and executives who 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 act as if the world has not changed around them Uh, so take kodak for example some people these days might not even really know what kodak is but for many of us they were one of the biggest companies in the world making Film, for like cameras, you know, like cameras. Do you not even know what a camera is? They're kind of like, cameras are kind of like this, but uh, you, you used to actually take photos, uh, not with phones, but with cameras. And, and they used to have film in them, right? And, and Kodak was the people who made the film. And they didn't get on the whole digital revolution. And uh, now they, we hardly know anything about Kodak. They went bankrupt, in fact, in 2012. Or Blockbuster. Remember Blockbuster? Uh, used to go to the video store and hire uh, a video or a DVD at Blockbuster. And they used to have over 9,000 stores worldwide. And in 2010, they too went bankrupt because they just failed to get the program. That, like, what's a DVD? I don't know. I can't literally remember the last time I used a DVD. uh, And uh, neither can kind of Blockbuster's market because it's dead. And they're bankrupt in 2010. Now, aside from what that tells us about the digital world in which we live and which we're all experiencing today as we watch church online, uh, whether it's a person or an organisation, the fact is that if you can't see your reality, your reality in life, the reality in which your organisation exists, uh, and if you can't identify the problems and the threats in your reality, then... You won't be able to do anything about those issues, about those problems, about those threats. If you can't see reality, you can't deal with it. And so reality is where Paul turns to next in his letter to the Romans. Back in verses 16 and 17, you'll remember, he outlines the beautiful truth of the gospel as the power to save. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And we talked lots about that last week, and you can go onto our website and and check out last week's sermon uh, for more details there. But we see, Paul is not ashamed of the Gospel because it is the power of of God that brings salvation, that makes us righteous, that gives us true justice. But of course, that begs the question, doesn't it? The power of God that brings salvation, why do we need salvation? What, What are we getting saved from? Why do we need God's righteousness to be given to us? Well, Paul now goes on to show us the reality of our situation, of why this gospel is is something that we oughtn't be ashamed of because it brings such good news to such broken people like you and like me. Paul says, verse 18... The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. What are we getting saved from? From the wrath of God. Now, that's interesting. What is the wrath of God? What what is that? What does Paul mean when he says uh, the wrath of God has been revealed, and it is this that we are getting saved from. Well, wrath is kind of like anger, but, but it's nothing like human anger. See, when you or I get angry, we, we lose our temper, and we, we go into a rage, and we, we behave sometimes in ways that aren't appropriate. We take out our feelings on people who maybe they don't deserve it when we're angry we can be malicious and, and, and spiteful and vindictive. I can remember many years ago uh, when I got dumped by a girl, but I got angry about it and I took that out on uh, people uh, who happened to do other things that were annoying in my life and so famously I got angry with uh, some church wardens a long time ago for not letting me eat supper on the church carpet and part of that was because I was really angry about this other thing that was happening in my life. Totally unjustified and a totally inappropriate way of me as a human being dealing with my anger but but God is not like me, thank goodness. God isn't angry because his pride has been wounded like like I was. God's wrath is righteous anger at evil. You know, like the, the kind of anger you might have when you, you, know, you, you turn up a history book and you read about the, the systematic uh, killing of the Jews by the Nazis or uh, you read about the way Australian soldiers were treated in prisoner of war camps in the, in the Second World War by the Japanese. That, that kind of feeling you have when there, there's real injustice and it really gets to you. God's wrath is anger, righteous anger at evil and and injustice. And this is good. It's good, isn't it? That God is angry at, at, at the injustices of the world. Because no doubt you've felt that. But what is the greatest injustice of all? Is it white privilege? Is it climate change? Is it the rich getting richer? Is it abortion? None of these things are the greatest injustice of all. Paul says, it's godlessness. This is the great injustice and all those other things stem from it. Life lived without God. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what was made, may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, been understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse." creation reveals the glory of God, says Paul. And people ought to know that there is something or someone behind this creation. What is the essence though of this unjust, wrath-producing, godless life? Well, uh, John Stott, who's an English pastor, and in fact used to be the youth pastor of one of our long-term parishioners and priests, on yearly. John Stott, as he reflects on this, says, God's wrath is directed, however, not against godlessness and wickedness uh, uh, in vacco, in but against the godlessness and wickedness of those people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. It is not just that they do wrong, though they know better, it is that they have made an a priori decision to live for themselves rather than for God and others and therefore they deliberately stifle any truth which challenges their self centeredness See this? The, the, the godless life is actually a life that is centred on me, on self centeredness and because we make a decision to live life for me, we then reject any truth that might cause us to have to change and reorientate the way we live our lives. And of course, we we, we live in one of the most me-centered worlds that there is. The essence of the godless life is Self centeredness instead of God centeredness. The, the, the essence of most of the injustices in the world is self centeredness instead of God centeredness and other centeredness. And actually, when you think about the conversations that you might have with people, or if you're not a Christian, you think about some of the reasons why you say you don't believe in God. Just take the other day. Uh, a conversation with someone who said that they didn't believe in God because of science. And it didn't matter that I could say, well, look, hey, here's this book by John Lennox, who's an Oxford professor in mathematics uh, and he's way smarter than you or me and he actually writes a whole book about how science and Christianity are not in conflict. Maybe you should read it and then we can have a conversation about Jesus. I don't want to read that. I'm not interested in the truth... I'm not interested. I've, I've got I've got. I've got I've got a reason why I don't need to challenge my self-centeredness. People by nature deliberately stifle truth which challenges their self-centeredness, and probably I don't know. Maybe the view count's going down right now because it's not nice to hear, even though they ought know better. They choose not to. And so, in their godlessness, Paul says in verses 21 through 23, they turn to idolatry. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. In Paul's day, literal idolatry, the literal worship of statues. We're too smart for that now in the West, aren't we? But we do the same thing we exchange the worship of god for different idols idols of self idols of wealth idols of status idols of family these are the things on which we which which we sacrifice ourselves to day after day after day so god's wrath has been revealed against this kind of self-centred life instead of a God-centred life. And what does it look like for God to be doing this? Well, there are actually uh, three different ways that God reveals His wrath or His anger and injustice. Firstly, He says that He's going he's to r- reveal it at the, at the end, at the end of time. When Jesus returns, he will bring judgment on the world and those who've trusted in Jesus will be spared. So that's the first way. And so Paul talks about this in, later in Romans as the coming wrath, the day of judgment. We also know uh, from the, the, the end part of Romans chapter 13 that, that God uses governments to bring his, his wrath and his justice to bear. So, so he, he, he appoints governments to, to bring about justice. So, you know, like when someone does something bad, like murders someone, the, the government kind of brings God's, is an agent of the wrath of God on that by, by punishing that person. But here in chapter 1, Paul actually shows us that God's wrath is also not just a, a future occurrence, not just something that governments can do, but it actually is something that God reveals In the here and now by uh, allowing us to reap the consequences of our behaviour. So look at verse 24, 26, 28, therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Verse 28, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. God gave them over. God's wrath is revealed, not with thunderbolts from the sky, not with natural disasters, but quietly and invisibly by letting us reap the rewards of our sin. And so what happens when God does this? People begin behaving badly. The, the, the world unravels as people get more and more caught up in their self-centred and selfish living. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that if you read verses 20 through 4 through 31, there are things on the list that Paul mentions that people might think deserve not to be on that list. But of course, in a godless world... you you would expect godless behaviour to be acceptable behaviour, wouldn't you? After all, everyone is doing it. And actually, that's exactly what Paul says in verse 32, isn't it? Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. What's probably actually a bit strange is that probably your average sort of uh, non-believing person would want to take some parts of Paul's list. There are parts of Paul's list, like murder, for example, that we're all like, yep, that's a bad thing, that God's, you know, should be angry about. But that is because we live in a world That has been so thoroughly drenched in Christian morality that some of it is still sticking. So Paul lists things there that maybe are starting to slip away like homosexuality in verses 26 and 27 but that's not the only thing there that he lists that that our world is kind of fine with. Verse 29, greed, Uh, making as much money as you can as long as it's not illegal, We're kind of fine with that. Gossip, like it is a rite of passage to get together with your friends and gossip about the ones who couldn't make it, especially if we don't really like them. Slander, I mean what else do you do on Facebook, what what else is Facebook for apart from watching church and slandering people? (laughs) No fidelity, verse 31. That is, sticking with someone faithfully, regardless of circumstance, regardless of what they can bring to you. you constantly getting to cut people away who are no good for you. These are all kind of acceptable sins in a, in a self-centred world. Things which many in our world partake And which many in our world justify and which God in His wrath against all unrighteousness and ungodless and the godlessness of this world allows people to reap what they sow. Now here's the thing, some of you are going to think that what Paul says here is complete and utter nonsense. Some of you uh, might even identify as someone who practices the sort of behaviours that Paul lists. And some of you might think that, well, if this is what the wrath of God is letting me do, make heaps of money and provide for my family, uh, have someone who cares for me in my home, who I love, well, there's no way that this can be wrong. And guess what? If that's what you think, it's it's not my job here today to convince you otherwise. But what I want to say to you today, and to all of us today, is to remember that the book of Romans holds the key to us living a good life, a conquering life, a life full of fullness and joy, a life that is truly satisfying and full of hope. And if you're interested in the life and the solutions that Romans offers, if you want Romans 8, you go and read Romans 8 after this service today. And and if you want all that Paul promises there about a love from which you can never be separated, about a life which conquers all evil, if you want Romans 8 then you might need to start letting your mind entertain the problem to which Romans 8 is the solution. You've got to grapple with Romans 1, with with what Paul is saying here, that a self-centred life, lived without God, is ultimately not going to get you what you are hoping for, not here and not in eternity... And what I want to say to you today, regardless of how you're feeling, regardless of whether you're convinced or not, is I want to implore you to at least entertain the possibility that some of the ways that you live your life and enjoy could be wrong, could be the fruit of self-centeredness. And I want to remind you about those companies that I talked about, out for, Kodak and Blockbuster, or the people that I got you to think of who, who, who just won't admit obvious problems in their life. I want you to say, as we go on this journey, have an open mind. Don't ignore what potentially, according to Paul, according to God, could be one of your biggest problems in life. And realize that life without God means no salvation, no righteousness, no justice, only wrath and death and if that's not the trajectory on which you want your life to point, then come to Jesus. For in Him alone is righteousness, justice, truth, and salvation from our self-centred way of life. Well, as we conclude this uh, time together, uh, I thought it appropriate, as we've kind of heard Paul talk about human sinfulness, that together, as we reflect on our lives before God, we confess our sins. So let's pray this prayer of confession together. O oh, merciful God, our Maker and our Judge, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, and in what we have failed to do. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbours as ourselves. We repent and are sorry for all our sins. Father, forgive us. Strengthen us to love and obey you in newness of life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Lord, I pray for everyone who's listening today that you might help each of us to grow in our knowledge and love of you. I pray, Lord, that you might help us to turn from self-centred living to God-centred living and that we might live righteous lives by faith that we might enjoy the gifts that you have promised to give us through faith and trust in you. Father, for each one of us, we pray that wherever we're at in our walk with you, you would help us today and every day to take one step closer to living lives of purpose and faith, deepening our knowledge and love of you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.